Let's go to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 30. I don't know if I told you where to go, but 1 Samuel chapter 30. I want to read just a few verses and then I believe this is something I believe could be spoken into the nation. But I believe it's also something to speak to us as an individual of where we are possibly. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, uh, and, and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great and they did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. And so David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until there were no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Because the soul of the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring me the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord saying, Shall I pursue this troop? And shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Father, I thank you for your presence and I thank you for your word. Thank you that it's a lamp to my feet, it's a light to my path. I thank you that it's my strength when I'm weak. It's my counsel when I don't know what to do. God, it makes me wiser than my enemies. Gives me hope in the midst of, of despair. Father, it's healing. It's my very life. And I thank you this morning that your word, God, is power. And the preaching of your word carries power. And Lord, I thank you right now that every ear is open to hear and every eye to see and every heart to receive. And I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want you to say with me this morning, I think I put a title up there, didn't I, Miss D? If you got that, throw it up on, on there. If you put it up, if you didn't, it's all right. But let's just say this. Let's recover all. Can we say that together? Let's recover all. Let's get everything back that the enemy has taken from us and has stolen from us. Thank you, Miss Sonia. Or, no, that's not your name. Tanya. Sorry. Tanya. Man, I'm trying to still mess it up. David's one of my favorite people in the Bible. I, I, love, I love to read the stories of David. I love to read it all the way through. Because I prayed this prayer a lot of times, even in my own life, about what God said about David. It said, this is a man after my heart. For he will fulfill my will. They spoke that in the book of Acts chapter 13 as the, as the apostles were looking back encouraging the people. But then it goes on to say something like this. And David served his generation. I love the part where it says, and David is a man after my heart. Didn't say he was a perfect man. 
Didn't say that it was a man that had it all together. Didn't say that it was a man that never failed. It just said this. In the middle of all that craziness that was going on with David, David really, truly had a heart and a passion to serve the Lord. You know, sometimes I think that's the way it is with all of us. I really believe that. There's a lot of people that you and I will write off. We all have done that. But the reality is they really have a passion to serve the Lord. But they're caught by the things of this world. Or they're caught by something that has caused them to stumble along the journey. But God looks at the heart. You remember the story in the book of 1 Samuel. I believe it's chapter 16 or 17. When God sent the prophet Samuel to anoint one of the sons of Jesse to be the king of Israel. You know why all that came about, right? You know, after all, God had planned. I like what Dr. Dave said. We were supposed to be, and we are, kings and priests unto our God. And we're supposed to be rulers of our life. But the whole reason that King Saul was even in position was the fact that the people decided we wanted to be like the nations of the world. First Samuel starts out talking about a lady by the name of Hannah that desired to have, have a, a son that couldn't have one. So she goes, to the, she goes to the temple. She prays night and day. God gives her a son. And she was, she was crying out to God. I'm paraphrasing. And Zach, you've probably heard this. That if God, if you give me a son, I'll give you a prophet. And she has a son. His name is Samuel. And Samuel now, the prophet of God, comes on the scene, grows up in the house of Eli. And Eli was the priest over the people of God. He was basically the judge. God was ruling the nation. He was ruling the nation through his priesthood. They were giving the direction. They were giving the assignments of what God was doing and actually showing how the people should live. But there was a problem even among the people of God. The sons of Eli were wicked. They were taking bribes. They were serving in the things of the Lord. They were taking bribes. They were laying with the women. There was a number of things going on. And, and they would take advantage of the people as the people would come to offer their worship. Here's a point for you. I'm going to walk through a story, so hang with me. Here's a point that you and I need to know. If you don't think that our actions don't impact other people, you have bought into the lie. And mom and dad, if you don't think how you live and how you instruct your children doesn't make a difference, then you have bought into the lie. It affects everyone. You know, I've heard people say, well, it's my life. I can do with it what I want. I got news for you. There's not a person in this house that has been created that way because every decision I make is going to have an impact upon somebody. It may not affect the whole. It may not affect as many as maybe pastors uh, Val's life will or, or, or Miss Adrian's life will or Miss Piedad or Miss Crystal. But every one of us, our lives, our decisions are going to play a role of impacting the lives of those that are in our sphere of influence. And every one of us in this room have a sphere of influence. How many knows... I'm pushing. I can't labor this. I've got to get on with the message quickly. But if I would found myself or you found me in an act of adultery, it would impact everybody in this room. 
It would impact how you see me. It would impact how you view my family. But it will impact whether you stay in this place or don't. It will impact how you will treat others. I remember back years ago, I never will forget it, had a man in my church when one of the major leaders back in the, what was it, back in the uh, 80s, I think it was, that had a major fall. And I had people call me up, I will never go back to church again because of that one decision that one preacher made. And as far as I know, some of them never did. And the reality was they weren't even a part of that church. But they had viewed them because of TV. My whole point is, don't think for a moment that the actions of your lives doesn't count. Every decision, every action you make, whether you think it does in this house or outside of this house, every decision we make counts. It does impact people. So here are the sons of Eli. Let me back get off my rabbit trail and get back into the story. So here's Eli. He's, he's his son and he will not deal with the issue. Oh, here's point two. Us not dealing with the issue is an agreement for it. Hello? If I don't deal with it and I know it's wrong and I know it's sin, then it must be a, my agreement with it. A few weeks ago when William Federer was in town, he, he brought some scripture out I never even thought of looking at it from an Old Testament principle. And, and it's simply this. Well, pastor, it, you know, from an Old Testament principle, if you see your neighbor offering their children to Molech, which is a, a, a god, an idol, and they're throwing their babies into the belly of this idol, seeing them burn, burn to a crisp, he says this. This is scripture. It's in the book of Leviticus. If you see your neighbor doing that and you don't say anything, then you must be in agreement with what they're doing. You see, this is how we get messed up at the polls. Well, I don't do it. They do it. But I don't like this guy. So if I don't stand up for righteousness, then I must be in agreement with what the party or what that group of people is standing for. I never thought about that till, till Brother Federer began to unfold scriptures too many to unfold. And I thought about every wedding that I've ever done. We've done probably, I don't know, maybe 100, 150 weddings over nearly 40 years of pastoring. We've done a lot of them. And we don't do them like we used two years ago. How many remember the days in the years past we had traditional vows would say something like this? I take you, Diane, to be my lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, and keeping myself only unto you as, as long as we both shall live. And of course, she madly said, I do. <laughs> but how many of you had a vow like that spoke over you back there? Did any of you? Few of us. But there was also a time in that ceremony that most say, most preachers would never been this way. I don't think I've ever said it. But if they would say something like this. If anybody has anything to say about this wedding, let him speak so now. And of course, everybody would look around, the bride and the groom, is anybody going to say something? So what were they doing at that time? They were really operating a biblical principle. If there wasn't something right there, they should have spoke up at that moment. 
But if they kept their silence, then what they were saying is, I'm in agreement with what's going on. They added their agreement to it. And so it was that Eli kept quiet and his sons, his sons kept doing evil. And so God raised up a prophet, even from the house of Eli, that would come up and say, God, it's going to remove you from your priesthood. And matter of fact, the people of the day, the people of God that were sitting under him, that were being led by the priests of the day, they come to Samuel. Samuel, we're tired of this. Give us a king. And so that we can be like all the nations of the earth. What did they do? They gave up what Dr. Dave was talking about. They gave up their right. To be rulers of their own lives and of their families and of a righteous nation. And they said, we want to be like the nations of the earth. So give us a king. It wasn't for one purpose. They didn't see those that were supposed to be leading properly. And those that were to be leading righteously, they weren't doing it. I'm saying to even us as a church. You want to know why people don't want to come? I hear it all the time. Those people are no different than we are. Church is nothing but hypocrites. It's full of people that don't live what they believe. That don't talk what, they, what they're doing when they come to church. We come in on Sunday morning and we worship and we hold up our hands. I never will forget a man that me and Diane worked for when we were both teenagers. I think she got me my second job at a dry cleaning place in Paducah. And this guy could cuss like a sailor. I mean, he, I mean, he could rip it out there. But when the preacher would come up, oh, hallelujah. That's no lie. Because we saw it and we heard it. But that's how a lot of the church is. We throw our hands up in here. Let's have a deep worship service. But as soon as it's all over, we go and we live and we do and we involve. And we're, we're participating with the world. And we're saying, you need to have what I have. And they're saying, why do I need to add what you're doing when you're doing what I'm doing? And so they come to Samuel the prophet. Eli dies. His sons are killed. And God speaks to him. And Samuel's kind of messed up. And God speaks to Samuel. He said, Samuel, they don't got a problem with you. They have a problem with me. Boy, you guys are quiet. But he said, you've got a problem with me. See, sometimes we're putting a problem on people and it's not a people issue. Don't you think for one moment God knew what was going on in the lives of those sons? And don't think for one moment God didn't know what was happening with Eli. But even though God knew it, it wasn't the time for God to remove it yet. And God was going to deal with that. And God would have had, but the people demanded. And Samuel says, hey, God speaks to Samuel. And he said, they don't have a problem with you. They've got a problem with me. But this is what I'll do. I'll give them exactly what they want. Here's another principle, church. If you don't think God will give you what you want, even when it's not your will, you are his will, you are greatly mistaken. 
Because God will not violate his will or violate your will. Because God values, listen to this, God values freedom so much that he will allow you to make your decision of how you want to live. And even by his grace, the only reason it hadn't destroyed you, it's by his grace. And His grace has sustained you. That somewhere in the midst of the difficulty, it will bring you back to Him. Matter of fact, it goes all the way back to Adam. I didn't plan any of this, but it's coming this way. I am. Thank you. It goes all the way back to Adam. When Adam sinned, and the first thing that God said to Adam, He said, I'm going to curse the earth or curse the ground for your sake. And thorns and thistles is it going to bring to you. Why was that? I purposely, I honestly believe that through the thorns and the the thistles, through the pricking, through the trouble, it wouldn't kill him, but it will turn his heart back to God. Why isn't it that it only seems like when we get in trouble as a nation that everybody wants to run back to God? I want to tell you something, if a major hurricane, a major earthquake, if a major disaster, or even right now from the nuclear threats of of several different countries around the world, I guarantee you it wouldn't take but one to be launched. It wouldn't even have to fall upon our soil, but I guarantee it will bring men to their knees. It will turn us back to someplace, hopefully, that would cry out, God, we need your help. God says, all right, tell them what I'm going to do. He said, before I release it, I want you to tell them what it's going to do. You can go find this in the book of 1 Samuel. First, read the first five, six, seven, eight chapters. Matter of fact, read the whole Bible. It'll help you. He said, the first thing they're going to come and do, they're going to take your sons and daughters. He didn't say they're going to kill them. He said, they're going to come and take them. And they're going to make them their slaves. They're going to come for the future. They're going to come for the generations that are ahead. Think about it for a moment. And we're you and I. You think we're free. That's where all the offerings, we can all be equal. Yeah, all slaves are equal. They have nothing. You didn't hear what I just said. All slaves are free. They have nothing but a master that tells them when to get up and when to lay down. What they're going to have and what they're not going to have. What they're going to eat and what they're not going to eat. He said, I'll give you what you want. You got to bring this down both as a nation and as our individuals. God will give you exactly what you want. But he said, I'm going to tell you what it will bring you. He speaks in so many different ways. I don't have time to hit every verse. So he comes and he said, they're going to take your children. They're going to take your properties. They're going to take your sheep. They're going to take your, they're going to take the offerings. They're going to take your worship. It's going to leave you empty. I'll give them exactly what they want. You know what the people said? Doesn't matter. We'll take it. We're so deceived and so messed up because those that we think ought to be doing it right aren't doing it right. Therefore, I want to be like everybody else. So what did God do? He rose up a soul. Handpicked by God. And he stood head and shoulders higher than everybody else. I believe he did that for a purpose. 
Because Israel, naturally, those people were kind of a small group of people in stature anyway. But he rose him up head and shoulders high because all of us like heroes. And all of us like to look at people that seem to be bigger than life. We all want that kind of person. I remember years ago being in a youth, a youth conference with Willie George. I know our young people now don't even know who he is. But my generation will. We went to, to Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was, a, it was a youth conference that we were in. Never will forget this. this uh, Blaine Bartel was the youth pastor of that day. He said he was giving us instructions of how we could grow our youth programs and doing all that. He said to his people, he said, we've had to learn some things. He said, we used to make flyers, you know, out of, you know, what, eight and a half by 11, whatever size of paper is. We'd done it in black and white. We told our kids to go hand them out. He said, we found most of them on the ground or in the trash can. Nobody wanted to hand them out. But he said, you know what we did? We got some of the coolest best looking kids that we could find and we got their picture and we put them on a we put them on a postcard we done it in color slick gloss and we gave them to the kids because we've learned this that everybody wanted to associate with somebody that looked good somebody that seemed to be a hero and if we put that he said we couldn't keep them the kids they would identify with that individual so god gave them something that would appeal to their flesh you see, I believe David and Saul represents two things. I believe it represents spirit, and I believe it represents flesh. And every one of us are a David, and every one of us have some Saul. And as long as you're in this flesh, you're going to have some Saul. Hello, every one of us in this room. And so Saul's leading. Everything looks like it's going well, Right? I mean, after all, it looks like it's going good, but the moment hasn't changed. See, that's sometimes even as we look at our national leaders and everything that's going on, man, they know how to talk. They know how to convince. They know how to speak and tell you exactly what you want to hear. They know how to touch you exactly where you are. But what they won't tell you is what is going on behind the scenes and what their, what their plans are. So here's Saul leading the nation. And Saul, it's feast time. And Saul can't wait for the priest to get himself in position to do what the priest ought to do. And so Saul decides, I'm going to take matters in my own hands. I'm going to do my own thing. Matter of fact, God also gave him a command. I want you to go utterly destroy. Wasn't it the Malachites? He said, I want you to go and utterly destroy them all. If you're going to battle, you've got to battle this thing. You, the word, the Amalekite means one that will wear out, one that will break you down. He said, I want you to war against them, and I, want you, I don't want you to leave anything. But Saul decided, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to keep the king because I'm going to parade him. And I'm going to take their sheep, and I'm going to do this. And he done all of this in the name of the Lord. And so Saul comes back to when Samuel shows up. He says, what is, what is this that I hear? What is this that I hear going on? Because this definitely isn't God. See, it may look like God. Everything about his motive, it was done in the name of the Lord. I'm going to use this for worship. 
I'm going to show everybody the triumph of the king. But there was one problem. God never asked him to parade anything. And he never asked him to bring anything back for his worship. He said, I've got one thing I want you to do. And I want you to utterly destroy all the Amalekites. And he wouldn't do it. And God said, all right. I'm going to remove the throne from you. I want to give somebody some hope in this place today. I don't care where you failed. I don't care where you blew it. There's only one thing that will rip the throne from you. And that's a disobedience to the Lord. That is disobedience. I'm going to do my own thing. We'll move the kingdom from you. So, you know the story. Samuel comes and he anoints David. David is anointed to be the king of Israel. He's just a young man. Got to keep in mind, he's only anointed and the throne hasn't been un unended yet. Saul is still on the throne. And so David finds himself playing before Saul in a place of worship because now an evil spirit is troubling Saul. And Saul, when he finds a minstrel like David and David is worshiping before the Lord, it made his, it made his flesh at ease. Makes me think of a young lady that was demonized in our church years ago or that showed up at our church one day in Paducah when me and Diane first pastored. This young lady came. I guess she was, I don't know what her problem was, but no doubt she had demons. But when she would come to the church, Diane, would, she, she would come in and she'd get in the presence of the Lord and she would go to sleep. Just like that. She couldn't stay awake. She would prowl and she would do, but in the presence of God, in the presence of God, it made her flesh come to peace. And so many times that's what's happened to the Spirit. You come into this place and all of a sudden the Spirit of God does something to your flesh that it will cause it to come to rest or come to ease or it will cause that demon to get out or you won't be able to stay in the place. So then David gets an assignment because the Philistines... Y'all got just a few more moments? I promise you, I'm not going to do it longer. But the Philistines set in a battle against Israel. The Philistines have always been the enemy of the people of God. They were out to destroy them completely. Matter of fact, I wrote a bunch of definitions down. Did I write that one down? It just slips my mind that I don't think I did. So David is sent by his father on a simple assignment. Take this bread, take some cheese and some wine, go check on your brothers. That's all his assignment was. Sometimes, here's another principle. Don't overlook the simple assignments because they may position you to take out giants. And when they get there, all of Israel is backed up. You've heard the story of David and Goliath. But when David walks up, his brothers are disdaining him. You're, you're, being, you're, you're just being naughty. You ought to go back, take care of the father's sheep. Just get back, not realizing that father had given them an assignment to go check on his brothers. His father's assignment was not to take out the giant, even though that would come into play. It was to go check on your brothers. And so when David gets there, the giant roars like it has. And David speaks who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And what do you get if you take this dude out? Because all of Israel has been back down for a month. Everybody's been stopped. 
And somebody said, well, if you take him out, you get the king's daughter. And you don't have to pay taxes no more. Woo-wee! That would be great. But if you got the king's daughter, you got all the favor of the king. And so David decided none of you are going to go do it. Something stirs up in him. I think I can do it. And he goes before King Saul and says, I could take him out. And King Saul says, you're nothing but a youth. But David said, I'm well able to go take this giant. Everybody else is back down. Remember, David is spirit and Saul is flesh. Okay? Keep in mind what's at work. And we got an enemy out here by the name of Goliath that wants to destroy. And this is what he's saying. Give me a man that will fight for me. And if I beat him, then everybody serves us. But if he beats me, then we'll all serve you. And believe me, there's a demon in the world that's screaming over the nations. Give me somebody that will contend with me. But flesh wouldn't contend. It takes a spirit move to do it. And Samuel wanted to put his armor on David. Everybody's heard the stories of preached messages I have of Saul's armor. There wasn't anything wrong with Saul's armor. There was just one problem. It wasn't made for David. It was made for Saul. Because warriors in that day, their their armor was fit for them. It was made for them. It would be like me going to get a custom-made suit and having it fit for me. I could say I'm a I'm a size whatever. And I could say, here, Pastor Val, put this on. And he might wear the same size. But the reality is, it won't fit him. Even though the numbers on it say the same thing, it won't fit him. Why? It wasn't made for him. It was made for me. But King Saul wouldn't move. So he's trying to fit David. Matter of fact, David is a small person and, 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 and Saul is a giant in comparison. So can you imagine David putting on the helmet of Saul and all of a sudden the helmet just falls down over his eyes and he can't see? So when David said, I can't do this, I haven't proved this, this is what David is saying. It's not fit for me. So then he goes into this battle. He runs with what he's got in the brook. He picks up some stones, takes one, he launches it, and he knocks out King, He knocks out Goliath. And then the real battle is on. Because David's real battle wasn't Goliath. David's real battle is with the Saul that's on the throne that he's got to deal with. And remember, I said to you, we all are like David. And we all have a King Saul. We all have flesh that we got to deal with. And so David goes back to the throne. The people are rejoicing. Saul has slain his thousands. But David has slain his ten thousands. And the more that King Saul heard that. The more that it troubled him. His flesh. Because remember he's a parader. Remember he's the one that's to be seen. It's his flesh that wants to be revealed. And the more that he heard it, and David would come into his presence. And when David would come into his presence, everybody was oohing and aahing over David. Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. And all of a sudden, the flesh nature of Saul rises up. And Saul takes his spear and he launches it at David. And he put David in a place that now David 
It's looking at the place I'm supposed to be. But it's not emptied yet. But it's put David on the run. And now, two different times, a javelin. Can, can you give me just five more minutes? Probably five, ten, fifteen. Just, I, I promise you, I've got it. But this is too important. I don't know why. I, this is what the Lord is having me speak this morning. For our nation and for us. So important for our nation. Because your flesh is getting in the way of when you go to that pole. I promise you, your flesh is going to be there. I, I've heard pastors, I just don't like the demeanor. I don't like this. I don't like, it's nothing but flesh sometimes. And we've got to learn that we've got to live by our spirit and find his direction. So David goes on the run. David goes to this place. And remember, David has stood before Saul before he went and said, you know, I killed the lion and bear. David had some great victories taking care of the father's sheep. He'd done some mighty things. But now he's on the run. He can't rest. And he comes to a cave called Adullam. And in the cave of Adullam, there are 400 men there. And these are men that are in debt. They're in distress. And they're full of fear. They're all just like David. They're on the run. They don't even realize it. But yet they don't realize how powerful and how mighty they really are. But right now, they're full of fear and they're on the run. And David comes to the cave because he's trying to avoid King Saul. Matter of fact, there's a couple of times that David could have taken out King Saul at any moment. But David recognized something. He was a man of honor. He said this, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. And so many times we're trying to deal with something that you're not assigned to touch. And you want to touch God's anointed. We've seen that with the prophets over the land. Over the last, over the last year or two, man, people have gone at them left and right. Not, not you, thank the Lord. But many out there have. And he said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. Matter of fact, there's several times I love it through the scripture when you go. And Saul even, even still trying to serve honorably to Saul. He would go to this certain city, certain city, and he said, but if I go there, this is going to happen. And I don't know how many times I just marked it in my Bible. I went through, and this is what the word said, and David inquired of the Lord. And David inquired of the Lord. And David inquired of the Lord. Because that seemed to be the nature of the Spirit. I want to know what God says about the matter. But then it got to a place that David turned to the Philistines. And he joined himself to a leader of the Philistines called Achish. And Achish names means a serpent, a charmer. It means a hard place. But David is on the run. He's trying to protect himself from Saul. But he joins himself. Listen. He joins himself with this guy. A leader of the Philistines. I'm trying to get the Ziklag because you've got to know why Ziklag is there. He's trying to get the Ziklag, but he finds himself among the Philistines even to the point. David now is going to compromise everything that he stood for this moment. Trying to do what's right. That he's even at the point because the Philistines, remember, they're for go. Read from the book of 1 Samuel. We want to destroy all the Israelites. But now David finds himself in agreement. And when these leaders are going up to war. 
And David's got these 400 mighty men with them. It looks like, I can't prove this, go read through history, but it looks like David was even at this point trying to protect himself. I'll even fight against the ones that have birthed me and brought me up. Y'all got really, really quiet. Either this is the dullest story. So this Achish guy, remember he's a serpent. Remember, he's a charmer. You better be careful. Here's another point. You might pay close attention to who you are getting yourself in alliance with. Because they may look like good warriors. They may look like everything that you think they ought to be. But the reality is they're playing in the hand of the enemy to destroy you. And so they go there and the lords of the Philistines had gathered this big meeting because they're going out and they're going to... They're going to set the battle in array. And they find out that David and these mighty men are there and said, I don't know if we trust David. I don't know if we can trust him. If he'll go fight for us, if he'll stand with us and they'll fight for us. Or somewhere in the course of the battle, he's going to turn on us. You know, sometimes, no, I won't go there. So they come to David and said, we don't want him. Send him and his guys out of here. And David goes to this place called Ziklag that really was some territory that belonged to the Philistines, if I understand right. So David is still out doing battle. So him and his men, his families. Oh, by the way, I've often thought about David. Throw some news on you. How many wives do you think David had? Woo, he was a womanizing dude. The reality was. Matter of fact, it don't tell us every name, but I think there was at least eight names through the book of, of Samuel. History would show us. Just because he had that many didn't mean that was the plan and the will of God. Even though God said, he's a man after my heart. Maybe there's a point to say in that. Just because you have a heart of God doesn't mean that everything that you're possibly doing is of the Lord. And that he's pleased with it. So David, come on back for, for me, would you? And while David, while David and his men are out, the Amalekites come. And they utterly wipe out the town. And the word Amalekite means a people that lick up or exhaust. They're a warlike people. And they come in and they took his wives and they took his children and they took their goods. Notice something here in this picture that bothers me. Didn't tell what they did with the elderly. Could have been very possible that the only people that they would have taken with them were those that would serve them as slaves. And those that weren't, we don't need you. And they killed him there in the city. Brothers and sisters, if you don't think that that could possibly happen in our day, in our time, you are greatly mistaken. That some of us in this room, we're not no longer needed in the world since. They could wipe us out in a moment. But David and his men come back and the city's burned. Smoke is coming. Everything they have 
David, we've trusted you. We have followed you. David, we've been with you. This is your fault, David. Now everything is turned towards David. Everything is laying on David. Their men are broken. The Bible said they were sorely grieved. David was greatly distressed. They were so mad at David. We're going to stone you, David. We're not going to follow you anymore. Because the Bible said every man's heart was so greatly grieved. Every man because of his sons and daughters. But then the word tells us that David strengthened himself in the Lord. Another translation says it like this. But David found strength in the Lord. Another translation said David strengthened himself. Another one said David became very courageous in the Lord. I wonder how he did that. I wonder how David, when you're so overwhelmed, when you're so overtaken, how do you strengthen yourself in God? Just a few chapters before, there was a place that the son of Saul, Jonathan, so loved David. He said, David, I'll make an alliance with you that your soul is going to be like my soul. And there was a moment when Jonathan was seeing all of this stuff go, go on. And Jonathan was encouraging David. He said to him, these words, he said, Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. Listen to what he told him. He said, David, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. He was reminding him, this is what God has spoke over you. Now, keep in mind something in these passages. When you and I read the Bible, it looks like it all happened in one day. That's how we read. This all happened in a moment. But history shows us that it was somewhere between 15 and 20 years before David would ever go to the throne. And all of that time, David is dealing with the Saul that's in him so that David could righteously go to the throne. Everything that David was going through, God was dealing with something in David's heart and David's life to make him that man that will fulfill my will. I believe every one of us, after all the years that I've, I, I've done this and and man, that's that's been a while now. Everything, it's not important. I was thinking about some things. It's not important maybe sometimes of what maybe I'm facing. It may not be what somebody said. It may be important how I deal with the moment. When somebody wounds me, disappoints me, hurts me. I go through this. You're not going to go through life that somebody's not going to let you down. And those wounds are real and those wounds can go deep and them things can hurt. But then there's a reality is I can't answer for them necessarily. But what I have to look at is what is it doing to me? What is it dealing with in me? Is there still some Saul in me that, that I've got to deal with? 
But David encouraged himself. He began to remind himself, God, this is what you said. Maybe he said something like this out of Psalms 18. In my distress, I called unto the Lord. I cried to the God of my help. Psalms 27 verse 1. He said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Um, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Psalms 40 says this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. And we could go verse after verse after verse through the Psalms of where David was in trouble. David knew the only place I can go when nobody else believes in me anymore. And I grieve myself because not only am I dealing with that out here, I'm dealing with you are. My wives and my children have been taken. But David now says, bring the priest. Bring me the Urim and the Tuam. Bring me the Spirit of God. I've got to know. David turned back to the Lord. Remember before he inquired of the Lord. But then David just began to let his flesh run. Joined himself to the Philistines. And now it's taking him back to that place that David knew so well. I've got to turn back to God. What is God saying about the matter? I've got to find out what the Spirit is saying. Listen, friend, I don't care what you've gone through. I don't care how broken you are. I don't care how messed up, how far away you've got from God. Where do I get back on at? Somebody said, I don't know where to get back on. I do. Right where you got off. Right where you are. Get yourself back up and turn back to God. And say, God, I have need of you. He inquired of the Lord. And then he asked God two questions. God... Do I go and pursue that group of people? David's greatest sin was not, David's greatest sin was not adultery. David's greatest sin wasn't for the fact that David even joined himself in places he shouldn't have done. David's greatest sin wasn't that he saw this beautiful woman. I've just said that. It wasn't all these things that we make it out to be. David's greatest sin was to got to the place that he no longer trusted God, but he was going to trust himself. What do I have? Let me count the number of men. How does my army look? David's greatest downfall was he trusted his flesh more than he trusted the Spirit of God that was in him to do what needed to be done. He said, Lord, should I go? Should I fight this battle? Brothers and sisters, let me share something with you. You're not called into everybody's battle. You're not called to fight into everybody's fight. Sometimes we get in battles we're not assigned to, we're not called. Sometimes people push, you can be pushed into that battle. And church, please hear me. We're all at different levels in this place. I've got people that are brand new Christians and some of us have been in this thing all of our life and sometimes I'm expecting everybody to think exactly the way I think. Do exactly the what I'm supposed to be doing. Or I see this ministry doing or I see that. And it may not be what I'm called to. I told you about the brother last week that has the massive tent meeting. I tell you what we ought to do. Let's go buy us a tent. Let's set it up on this big lot. That's ludicrous. He didn't tell us to do that. 
I shared the testimonies back last summer of the brother in Virginia that goes around evangelizing. And he picks a horse trough up. And he said, everywhere he go, I told you the testimonies. Everybody was being healed and bad. I tell you what we ought to do. We've got one. Why don't we put the horse trough back up? Because maybe that's where God is. But he didn't tell us to do that. Like my friend in East Kentucky that's been in revival. I guess they're in their hundredth week now. They're doing it two or three nights a week. They're in revival. Matter of fact, their church auditorium is probably this size. Right over here, they literally put in a swimming pool. And they've got all these guys coming from Georgia that are doing a move of God down there. They've got pools set up for baptism. I mean, supernatural things are happening. That's what we ought to do. Then we get ourselves in a battle we're not called to. I was asked recently, are you going to run for public office of some kind? Because I said in a meeting, I've been getting more involved. Before I left this past week, I got a text. What are you going to do? You're going to get involved? And I thought, maybe that's not my assignment. It's not that I don't believe in it, but maybe my assignment is to be an encourager. Maybe my assignment is to be one to stand alongside and hold up the arms of somebody else. Point is, don't get in a battle you're not called to battle in because you're going to face a demon you're not ready to face.